Today's reading is taken from James chapter 2, verses 1 to 13, which can be found on the Church Bibles on page 978. My brothers and sisters, believers in our glorious Lord Jesus Christ must not show favoritism. Suppose a man comes into your meeting wearing a gold ring and fine clothes, and a poor man in filthy old clothes also comes in. If you show special attention to the man wearing fine clothes and say, here's a good seat for you, but say to the poor man, you stand there or sit by the, on the floor by my feet. Have you not discriminated among yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts? Listen, my dear brothers and sisters, has not God chosen who are poor in the eyes of the world to be rich in faith and to inherit the kingdom he promised to those who love him? But you have dishonored the poor. Is it not the rich who are exploiting you? Are they not the ones who are dragging you into court? Are they not the ones who are blaspheming the noble name of him whom you, to whom you belong? If you really keep the royal law, sorry, royal law found in scripture, love your neighbor as yourself, you're doing right. But if you show favoritism, you sin and are convicted by the law as lawbreakers. For whoever keeps the whole law and yet stumbles at just one point is guilty of breaking all of it. For he who said, you shall not commit adultery, but also said, you shall not murder. If you do not commit adultery, but do commit murder, you have become a lawbreaker. Speak and act as those who are going to be judged by the law that gives freedom, because judgment without mercy will be shown to anyone who has not been merciful. Mercy triumphs over judgment. This is the word of the Lord. All right, great to see you all. And uh, yeah, let's keep that passage open as we look at James together. And we're going to the PowerPoint. Is there a... Okay, anyway. Um, for the benefit of uh, visitors, we are going through the book of James together. Now, the book of James, it was written to uh, Christians who had been scattered from their home. They lived in Jerusalem, but there was persecution, and so they had to move out. But yeah, when you move to somewhere else, you don't have your home, you don't have your normal job. Life is a lot harder. And they were a lot poorer, and these guys, they struggled with that. They didn't really respond well to their new situation. Yeah? And they were, yeah, they were responding in an ungodly way. And so James, uh, he writes to them, and he says, no, no, keep going as a Christian. You know, keep living the Christian life. Keep doing what is right, even though life is tough. Now, I don't know what kind of things you think they were doing that warrants these kind of this strong rebuke because if you've read this letter hey, there's some pretty strong language I don't know did they rob a bank just to get more money because they were so poor well surprisingly as we heard today <laughs> um, it's favoritism that's the first thing he, show, he, he talks about guys don't show favoritism verse 1 my brothers and sisters believers in our glorious Lord Jesus Christ must not show favoritism Hey, you're a Christian. You belong to Jesus the King, Jesus the Lord of glory. Don't show favoritism. 
Now, favoritism is when there's people, you should treat them the same, but you treat them differently. Uh, you give uh, preference to this one, and uh, I, I treat him well, and I treat her not well, even though I should treat them the same. I don't know if you think that's a big sin, the kind of thing that James should be writing about. I think, I guess, we'd all want to know, okay, James, why is this such a big thing? Although, I guess most of us would, if you've been on the receiving end, we know favoritism matters, right? Maybe you, when you were growing up, and your parents, maybe you feel like, oh, they treated my sibling much better than me, and, you know, you, you feel angry. Oh, they, they can watch more TV than me. Why do they have a bigger cake than me and a better party? I'm, I'm a parent, and <laughs> that's a constant battle for me eh, to try and be fair to all of them. Um, maybe in the workplace, you know, uh, this new person, they've only been here half a year, they get a promotion, and I don't, and you feel angry about it, right? Um, C.S. Lewis, I don't know if you read Mere Christianity, he kind of argues, look, everyone believes in right and wrong, everyone believes in a moral law, and how, how do you know that? Well, treat them unfairly, and how do they respond? They always say, you shouldn't have done that. It shows they believe in right and wrong, right? It shows they believe in a, in, in a universal law, that's, th- that's why you shouldn't have done this to me. And next time someone says to you, there, there's no right and wrong, just treat them badly <laughs> and see how they respond. Right? Now, I, I, I hope you can see, eh, favoritism matters. Now, wh- what is favoritism? I mean, n- not every preference is favoritism. Eh? Maybe you have some people you get on more with than others, that's okay, right? You like one restaurant more than another, that's, that, that's not... But uh, that's not favoritism, that's not, well, discrimination, right? He calls it discrimination. I mean, well, what is he talking about? I mean, th- this is terrible, right? Uh, verses 2 and 3. Did you read that? Uh, suppose a man comes into your meeting wearing a gold ring and fine clothes and, and a poor man in filthy old clothes also comes in. Uh, you can see the situation, right? This rich person in their Armani suit and their gold and uh, and, and yeah, what do you do? Well, you, oh, you pay special attention. Here's a great seat. Come sit in the front. And then the poor person, well, will stand over there or sit at my feet. And uh, why don't you bend over? And then I can kind of rest my foot on you. Right? <laughs> it's terrible. I, I hope when you hear this, you feel we shouldn't treat people like this, right? It, it is, this is not just, you know, I get on better with one person than another. This is, uh, this is treating people badly. And again, that's not always the case. You know, uh, uh, there's some discrimination is, okay, the music team. No, so they discriminate. If you can't sing and you can't play an instrument, you can't join a music team. But I hope that's, that's not discrimination, right? That's just normal. Even, you know, the verses 2 and 3. You go to HSBC and, y- and y- you get that. You get to HSBC and uh, you're a premier customer. Oh, come and sit here on the sofa, and there's a coffee machine. You can get your free latte macchiato, right? <laughs> and you're not a premier customer. Well, go stand in the queue over there. But again, that, that's just business, right? That's not favoritism. The problem is we are not HSBC. We are believers in our glorious Lord Jesus Christ. We are the church. We are the family of God. And so James says, well, here in church especially, although for us as well as we're outside don't show favoritism uh, don't treat people like that now what is lying behind this well, well what is the real problem I think 
Let's see how James answers that. Because he starts with, well, remember Jesus' perspective. You need to have Jesus' perspective. Yeah, so, okay, there's this rich person and this poor person. How should you, they, you have seen them? Well, verse 5. Listen, my dear brothers and sisters, has not God chosen those who are poor in the eyes of the world to be rich in faith and to inherit the kingdom he promised those who love him? You know, that, that God loves the poor. He's chosen the poor. He, they, they are rich beyond imagining because they, they've got this eternal kingdom, new creation waiting for them. Doesn't mean that every poor person will be saved. It says rich in faith, right? But, but we know all over the world it's, it's usually the poor who respond to the gospel because they, they know they are needy. They know they need help. They, they're not proud. And so when there's good news of, you know, someone loves you, someone cares for you, they, they jump at it. But, you know, they are usually, you know, poor people often become Christians. You know, you've got a poor pe- person in church, probably they're a Christian. Why do you reject them? Why do you dishonor them if God honors them so much? On the other hand, the rich, yeah, the person that you uh, love so much, well, what are the rich like for them at least? Yeah? Uh, verse 6, is it not the rich who are exploiting you? Are they not the ones who are dragging you into court? Are they not the ones who are blaspheming the noble name of him to whom you belong? Again, this is not wealthy Christians, right? These are people who are not Christians, but they, they curse Jesus and they exploit and they oppress. And, you know, that person comes in and you welcome them. Come on, these two guys come in. On whose side is God really on, do you think? Well, surely it's the poor person, but you turn it around. Or actually, it's the gospel that turns it around, right? Why would you favor the rich and reject the poor? That's what the world does. Basically, they they think like the world. In the world, if you have money, everyone welcomes you, right? If you have money, great, but it's, the, it's those who are the world rejects. That if you then also reject in church, that's a problem. And then you don't have Jesus' perspective, you have the world's perspective. And that's, that's I think, what lies behind it. The w- we, and James calls it discrimination in this for, verse 4. We make a distinction that is not there in church. It's out there in the world. Now, we don't really often have kind of rich and poor walking in here, but, I mean, Hong Kong is such a divided society sometimes, right? It's very, you know, there's the Chinese, and then there's the expats, and then maybe we have uh, the, the domestic helpers from the Philippines and Indonesia, and uh, we have international students uh, from, oh, from Africa, uh, all over the place. And the thing is, not everyone is treated well, right? Even among the Chinese, there's the, the rich homeowners, and then there's the, the guards and the cleaners. And you treat people very differently. I see that. I mean, I, I try to greet the guards, and so many people just walk past. The only time they talk about it, talk to them is kind of once a year when they give them a licee, right? That's often how the world works. Domestic helpers can tre- be treated so badly. But when you come here in church, how do you see people? Do we see them with Jesus' perspective? Do we see brothers and sisters in Christ? You see someone here, uh, yeah, well, what's the first thing that strikes you? Is it their, their ethnicity, th- their job, you know, their status? Or actually, they're my brother and sister. 
Yeah, because that's how, the, how, how we should, should see them. That's how Jesus sees them. Yeah, again, it, it's not always easy. I mean, of course, naturally, you are, your bias is towards those who are like you. Yeah, I, of course, I, I gravitate towards men and not to women. I, I mean, I shouldn't be talking all my time to women. That My wife wouldn't like that. But, you know, we... But how do you see? Do you, if someone comes in and do I think, oh well, that's just another, uh, and I don't want to. I'm not interested in them. Uh, as a church, we're a community. We share our life. We're a family. It's Chinese New Year, right? Families share life. You don't invite well only these brothers, but the rest of my family, I don't. I'm not really interested in them. I don't invite them. No, you're family, and in church, we are family. Yeah, but if we bring that worldly distinction in the church, then we're, we're not different. Or maybe just, uh, you know, the kind of popularity uh, in school or at, at work, it's there, there, there's popular people and not popular, especially people who are weird or odd, right? We, we don't want them. Well, Jesus loves everyone. Jesus has a church full of very diverse people. We should welcome those who are different. Or, or politics. I mean, politics is a big issue, right? There's blue and yellow. I mean, th- does that affect your relationships in church, right? You, you want to, you know, uh, l- I want to have lunch with someone after the service. Here's a new person. Let me invite them. You talk to them, and then, oh, they are blue and I'm yellow. So you know what? I'll have lunch with someone else. I mean, that's, that, that's worldly, right? That's, that, that's a distinction. You, know, you come into church, this is not Hong Kong. This is an embassy of the kingdom of Jesus. There shouldn't be that kind of division. Right? We're brothers and sisters. This is a, yeah, how do we treat people here? And uh, people who get treated badly outside, when they come here, is it so different? Hopefully, that they don't get treated the same way here. Actually, uh, was it half a year ago? I don't know if you remember Sam, Sam Biamukama, this student from Uganda. He loved being in our church because when he was out in the university, he was ignored and people treated him badly. And then he came here and people loved him. I mean, that's what the church should be, right? That is so wonderful. Because we don't make that distinction. We don't show that favoritism that you can see in the world. There's even something, I think, behind that worldliness, right? Because w- why do, are, are the rich favored? Well, I think it's uh, self-interest. I mean, why does HSBC want premier customers with a million dollars? Well, because they want their money, right? Why were these poor Christians so happy when there's a rich person in church? Well, th- maybe they can get me a better job. <laughs> Maybe I have a rich friend who can lend me some money, right? It's, it's self-interest. So, so often, it's, it's, it, that, that's why we like certain people. They make us feel good. <laughs> or they, they can do something for us. And that's why we spend time with them. And then other persons, they, they just tire us out. They, they cost us. Even maybe a, a, as a parent, I find it's self-interest often drives favoritism. Right? One child throws a tantrum. <laughs> The other one is compliant. So I, I treat the one with, you know, I'm much more lenient with the tantrum one because I just don't want to deal with the tantrum, right? It's self-interest. It's, it's a real problem. Self-interest. And so, again, if we see people, do we judge them by what they can do for us? It's selfish in a way, isn't it? And, of course, that's so different from Jesus' perspective. 
Jesus, well, the, not, the not great thing about Jesus, he has no self-interest. Right? Jesus, he's eternal God. He's been perfectly happy for all eternity. He doesn't need us. And so he can just love everyone freely. And as Christians here in church, I mean, hopefully we don't have much self-interest, right? Again, remember, we inherit the kingdom. We are rich in faith. We have everything in Jesus. We, we don't need to make friends with people just to get something. We have everything in Jesus. Shouldn't that be a wonderful time here in church where we, we don't have those needs that we feel we need to meet? Yeah, self-interest. I don't know. Next time, maybe we're going for lunch later, right? A lot of people... Who do you invite? Who do you want to spend time with? Who do you talk to? And, and why? Is that a worldly distinction? Uh, is it self-interest? Uh, it's, I hope you can see, yeah, actually, we, we do do this. I can see often I judge people by, yeah, things that I, Jesus doesn't judge them by. Uh, what can they do for the church? <laughs> it doesn't matter. Jesus. I've got Jesus in the church. I don't need that. Right? But then we can see, yes, this is sin. Actually, favoritism is worldly, it's selfish, it's sin. Although most of us then go, yeah, yeah, I know. It's probably not good, it's not a sin, but hey, uh, there's so much to do, right? There's, and I do all these other things right. And that's when James reminds us, well, remember, remember Jesus' demand. Jesus demands in verse 8. He says, look, you're a follower of Jesus. What does it mean to follow Jesus? Well, Jesus gave us one command. Verse 8. If you really keep the royal law found in Scripture, love your neighbor as yourself, you're doing right. And the royal law, the law of the king, the glorious Lord. Jesus gave us love your neighbor. And following Jesus is it's not just the kind of the list in the Old Testament that uh, we often think about. Eh? We often think, okay, well, uh, there's all these things and I've done, well, that's what the world, right? I've, I've passed 60% of my questions in my exam and so I've passed. doesn't matter about the other 40%. But Jesus says, no, that, that, that's not what God, what following, Jesus, what following him is like. You know, behind all those commands, in, there's one big one, love. Love your neighbor as yourself. That is, well, the real thing. And, and Jesus told us, f- my, you're my followers, I want you to just follow this one thing. Love. Love your neighbor. You know, you, maybe you wonder, what should I be doing? Eh, and maybe you can't find a specific command in Scripture. It's very simple. Love. Is this good for someone? Or does it harm them? Or if it's good, it's love. Do it. Who should I love? There's all these different people. Jesus makes it so simple, right? Love your neighbor. Love the person around you, the person next to you. Love everyone. But actually, that's, that's a big demand, right? Love everyone. <laughs> that is what Jesus gave us. It's, it's much more simple. It's much more powerful, much deeper. But then again, Jesus, <laughs> he, wants, he wants a lot, Right? He's the glorious Lord. What, what else can he demand than, you know, deep, perfect obedience? Eh, that we may be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. Eh, this is Jesus we're talking about. He's not happy with 60%, right? He, he wants 100%. And so, so that's how we should see this, you know. 
following Jesus, it's total. It's, it's one whole thing. Yeah, so it's not like, I don't know, uh, how can I illustrate this? Bubble wrap. <laughs> now, he gives this example. Look, adultery and murder. Yeah, it's, you know, yes, you don't commit adultery, but you do murder. You're still guilty, right? You haven't, it's not that you're okay. And the next time someone steals something from you, they're not going to stand in court and say, hey, I've been faithful to my wife. I should be, I sh- you shouldn't arrest me. You shouldn't imprison me. It doesn't work like that. Yeah, but, you know, the God's demands are not just lots of le- separate little things. And if you don't have some of them, it still works. Yeah, like the bubble wrap. A few bubbles pop, no problem. Uh, it still protects your crockery. Now, Jesus gives us one demand that covers everything. Maybe like a tire, right? It, it covers everything. It's one unity, one whole. But then you, well, yeah, one nail and it's, it's flat, right? It doesn't work like that. Jesus asks a simple question. Have you loved your neighbor? Yes, you've treated all these church members well. How about this one person? Have you loved your neighbor? Uh, you've done all these things, but have you done this for them? Have you loved your neighbor? Love your neighbor. It's a, it's, it's a demand. But, but that's how Jesus, yeah, operates. That's what he gave us. And so, yeah, favoritism. Yes, you've welcomed all these people. That's great. We should be welcoming. We should welcome the rich. We should welcome the people we like. But we should also welcome the people that maybe we normally would reject. Have we loved our neighbor? And if you see it like that, I'm guilty we're all guilty, right? None of us can say, yeah, I've perfectly loved everyone. But that is when James goes on, well, but at that time, remember Jesus' mercy. Not just his demand, remember his mercy. Because he says, well, how should you live and act? Remember mercy. Now, mercy, you see that in 13 especially, but let's start to look at verse 12. Uh, he says to them, okay, <laughs> you've become a lawbreaker. Speak and act as those who are going to be judged by the law that gives freedom. Why freedom? I mean, love your neighbor. It doesn't sound very freeing, right? Just love everyone. <laughs> it's, that's not free. Now, what we need to realize, what James says, remember, why is this a law of freedom? Because it's not about your relationship with him. And the thing is, often we think of laws and we think of the things we need to do. That is what makes us right with Jesus. I I, I belong to Jesus as as long as I'm a good person, as long as I do all these things. But that's not how it works, right? How, How did we come to Jesus? Well, he loved us. And he died for us. He paid for all our sins and he had mercy on us. And... That brings us to him. And, and all the other things, then, yeah, that's, okay, that's how we live, but it's not how we relate to him. He just gives us mercy. And, and that means I'm free, right? My, my, my love for my neighbor doesn't, uh, you know, my, my, my relationship with Jesus doesn't affect, uh, depend on that. That makes me free. Yeah? Jesus just says, I love you, I've done everything for you, and you just now go and love your neighbor. I've loved you freely. I've loved you without interest. You do, and do the same love. You, you don't worry about me. And, and that, that frees us. Of course, we, we need to understand that love. If we don't show that love to others, of course, something's wrong. 
Yeah? If, if we don't show mercy to others, have we got Jesus' mercy? But, you know, Jesus just says, love one another as I've loved you. I've loved you totally. Don't worry about me. You just love others totally. That is the Christian life. Yes, Jesus, in a way, is demanding, right? Perfect, complete, lacking nothing. Love everyone. But it's not the thing that built, that's the basis of our relationship. Our, basis, our relationship is based on mercy. And that gives freedom. So, yeah. I hope we, uh, I hope we can return to Jesus' mercy. Right? Uh, of course, uh, we want to be better. We want to love our neighbor. But let's remember his mercy. His mercy that triumphed over judgment. That triumphed over all divisions. And just loved us. And loved all of us indeed. Isn't it wonderful that we're going to have communion in a moment? Right? We want to remember Jesus' love. Well, where do we see Jesus' love? We see it as he dies on the cross. His broken body. His shed blood. But it's not just his love for us. It's his love for all of us. Right? Now, as we come together, as we stand in the queue, who is in the queue? It, it's rich and poor, slave and free, Jew and Gentile, Chinese, Filipino, Western, African. Uh, we are all together in the queue. That is who Jesus loved. Jesus loved all of us without interest. Jesus loved all of us totally. Well, let's show the same love to others. Here in church, outside, as we are known as people of, of love, people of mercy. Isn't that a beautiful vision, right? That is, yeah, that is what Jesus wants. So yeah, in a moment, let's, let's be filled by his love and, and look around. Look around at the people here and uh, let that love transform us. But it starts with Jesus' love. So yeah, the music team's going to come up. We're going to sing about Jesus' mercy that triumphs over his judgment. We're going to sing before the throne of God above. Yeah, I have a strong and perfect plea. Jesus who died for us. So uh, yeah, let's uh, maybe take a moment of quiet. I see people thinking. Let's, uh, l- let's take just a, m- a minute to reflect. And then we'll sing together.